Good evening. It, I was reminiscing here a little bit. Obviously, we were here about a week and a half ago for a wedding, but um, it was seven years ago on November 9th that I had my first message when I gave a week of meetings. So it was exactly a year ago I was preaching here also. And um, in 2015, that would have been. So it's a blessing to be here and be with you all again. <clears throat> you know, as I think of ordination and I think of, of what is happening in the church this weekend, there's, there is something refreshing to see the church of God moving on, moving forward. And I think I was told you can never have enough of ordinations. I haven't found a church yet that there's too many ordained men because the mission field's always looking for some and so forth. So I think we want to, I think there's something about ordinations that helps us to evaluate where we are as a church, where we are as persons, as we participate in an ordination and we give nomina nominations. There's something about evaluating our life and evaluating those around us that I think is good for us. And so in this process, may it be a time of, of growing and may it be, can we view it as, as a stepping stone, as a building block in the church, in the congregation here? So this evening, I was asked to, to give the qualifications for leadership. Now, some of us have been involved in quite a few ordinations, and we think everybody should know these. And, you know, they're here in Scripture. They're spelled out in black and white. So here we are. We're just repeating ourselves. And yet, I think it's a good reminder of, for each one of us that God has given us a list here in his scripture of practical characteristics to guide us in choosing a leader. He didn't just say, go out there and choose a leader, but he, there's a list here that it goes down. And I want to look at the list at 1 Timothy chapter 3 here tonight. And it starts out with, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, you know, I've looked at that a number of times and said, you know, should we be getting excited? Should we be campaigning for this office? Or, or you know, it's a good work. What, what is Paul trying to say? And I don't know for sure the culture in that day, but I think it could apply to either culture. There are some that, you know, were they in Paul's day just couldn't wait and they all wanted to be leaders that Paul is saying hey it's a good thing but follow these characters in choosing or is it was he addressing sort of our Amish culture where yeah where none of us are campaigning and he's trying to encourage us come on men you know this is a good work and I think it can apply to either side that we're at. 
Um, it seems that there are those out there that would just love to be bishop, would love to be in leadership, but when you look at the characteristics and the qualities here, why well, I'm not sure they would fit in very well. Um, so either way, Paul is saying it's a good thing. And so if we are called to this position, let's enjoy where God has called us. And I tell men that if I would be ordained as a bishop and would hang my head every time I come up here and make it look like a very wearisome work, why I probably won't be able to find anybody to take my place. So I, I think whatever position we're called in, it's a work of the Lord. It's a good thing. And so let, let's take it for that. And let's enjoy where God has called us. And so it's, we look at bishop here. And again, the word bishop can mean overseer. There's people have used lead pastors. The, the title that we give a bishop or the lead pastor doesn't really change him. And so we have tried to change titles and so forth to make it better. Well, we still have humans who are leaders, so I'm not sure whatever title you give him, we're still following what Scripture has here this evening. So a definition for a bishop would be a spiritual supervisor or overseer. And the dictionary would say a senior member of the Christian clergy and empowered to confer holy orders. We would look at the definition of an overseer as someone with a vision that is looking forward. You're looking tonight for uh, someone who looks in the future. Someone with a vision. Someone that has some insight, some foresight. Now, the, the other side of it is we have the Pharisees that they saw Peter as an unschooled fisherman. But Jesus saw Peter as a man that will turn the world upside down. An overseer, I believe, will gauge decisions according to the future. And so we, we again say that it's a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. So looking at 1 Peter 3, maybe I'll read the first few verses here. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Lest he fall into reproach 
and the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. And then we see that it talks about their wives also. And I'd like to look at the qualifications of the wife tomorrow night in my message in, in partnership. I'd like to look at, at the qualifications of the wife and also of that of partnering up with the Holy Spirit in our ministry. So as we look at these qualifications... You know, I think as a father, as a leader of the home, I think every one of us as men should be looking at these. That I really think as a born-again believer that these characteristics ought to be evident in each one of our lives. And I think... It was said clearly tonight that all of us as men should be looking at our own hearts when Nate shared the song that he did. And again, I say that God made it pretty practical. He, he put it here in just a couple of verses in this chapter. He gave us a check and a balance so that we see each other and can see What's going on in the heart? How am I walking and how am I living? Now, I realize that we can't see the heart. And I realize that men can be deceptive. But generally, what is coming out, how we live, how we do life, is what's in the heart. And so we're looking at, you know, this list here. Is it something that we should measure up to? Is it something that is here so that we perform? It's not about performance. It is a fruit of who we are. And it's evident to those looking in. It's evident to the church and those in the community. It shows evidence of how much the Holy Spirit has control of our lives. And so... To this weekend, we're not going to have Dathan and Laverne and Robbie. They're not going to change overnight. You have seen the fruit of their lives. And so it's interesting that God gets us to partner with him to choose a leader. And I'm, I'm encouraging the members here that are eligible to nominate, to participate and nominate. There's something about being involved in the work of the Lord. Some of you aren't being ordained, but you are participating. You're a part of this. And all God is asking you is, you see the list here. So you are nominating somebody that is qualified and then you're letting the rest up to God. Because there's something about that, um, you know, we've had a lot several times, and either one in the lot was qualified.
but God knows who the church, who the team, who the community needs for this time. And so we have the qualifications, but we're letting the choosing up to God because he can see the future. And really, he can see the heart also. We're not asked to be naive and ignorant. We're asked to follow his word. So there's 12 qualifications here in two verses, and maybe four verses. And so as we look at these, let's, let's think through these about who we feel is qualified as a leader here and as men and even sisters. How do some of these characteristics apply to our lives? Are these fruits of the Spirit working in our lives? And if they're not... Maybe we should reevaluate our life and go to a brother or sister and say, hey, something is wrong. You know, this fruit is not my life. How can we work on this together? But tonight, as we look at these in verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the first one there is, a bishop then must be blameless or the word blameless there is above reproach. There shouldn't be anything in my life that the enemy can lay hold of and hinder or ruin the work of Christ, especially the work of the church here in this occasion. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. God is looking for men of integrity, a man where his talk and his walk are consistent. There is nothing that will turn the world or young people off is if there's somebody that's saying one thing and living another. That happens in the home for children as they observe their father at home living one life, but when he's around church people and at church, he's living another life. It's not consistent. Titus 1.7 for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed. God does not make us holy so that we can enjoy it, but that he can accomplish his work through us. The second one here in verse 2 is the husband of one wife. I think the... The thrust here is someone who is faithful to his wife. Now you look at 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, 
and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Think about this a little bit. What is the relationship with my wife? And depending what that relationship is, my prayers, the spiritual life of my home and of the church is being hindered. It's very clear. It's also in Malachi where they're crying out to God and God said, I don't hear you. They're asking, God, why aren't you hearing me? And God answers and it says it's because of how you have dealt with your wife. And so as we see one that is faithful to his wife, if he's not faithful, how that can impact the spiritual life of the home and the church if your prayers aren't heard. What's happening? Um, When I play football or basketball, I enjoy offense. Playing defense, the offense is what I enjoy. Playing defense is boring. All you're doing is trying to hold things. In the spiritual battle, prayer and the word of God are our offensive weapons. And if that's being hindered, what's happening? Along with that... What, is his, what are his moral standards? There should be no question about my marital s- status. Man is made to honor and protect children and women. That's in the home and that's also in the church. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And what I'm seeing there is an unconditional love for your wife. It doesn't matter how she responds, what she says. If we're supposed to love like Christ loved, it's an unconditional love. It's not a 50-50. It's not if you do this, I'll do this. It's all 100%, all in. And so we have a man... Who loves his wife unconditionally so that his prayers are heard. The connection with God and the connection here are together. Verse 2, we have one that's vigilant and one that's watchful. A man who has a shepherd's eye for the thief. Or that wild animal. You know, when you go hunting, we sit there in the tree stand, we make all kinds of noise, don't we? So the deer come by. Well, when you're taking a little boy, sometimes it gets a little bit that way. No, when we're being watchful and vigilant, there's a quietness. There's a listening of what is going on. In Malachi, God called leaders to turn many away from iniquity. You know, if I, I as a leader am too noisy and too busy, I'm not hearing what's going on. Watch ye, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Stay awake. Be a man. Be strong. 
few years ago, our community had at least 15 robberies right there in our little town of Eldersville. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, people were watching. Daytime and all. And I had some drywallers come that were a little lost, and they finally found our schoolhouse and pulled in and had six cops follow them in because people were on the level, and here were some men that were out of the area, and their van looked a little suspicious, and when you have five Mexicans driving back and forth down a road that has been robbed a few times, why, well, you get pretty suspicious. Now, that was a false alarm, but there is something about us keeping an eye, a watch, we are walking with the Almighty God who helps us through this. Am I alert? How is my home? How is our church? Does the enemy have a chance to get in here? Not if we're watching. Not if we're in tune with the Almighty God. He says also here to be sober. And to be sober here has that connotation of having self-control, being disciplined. A disciplined leader is in it for the long haul. He's a long runner. When I was in school, I, I enjoyed the mile-long race, but you were in it for the long haul. When you started out, you didn't start with a rush, and you know we've got it all together here. You would run at a pace because you knew how long it's going to take. The leader is disciplined. He's in this work for the long haul. He's not just going to jump ship when things get rough like too many pastors have done. A disciplined leader is working while others are wasting time. He's studying while others are snoozing. He's praying while others are daydreaming. A disciplined leader will overcome bad habits. Some may shrink, but he will be full of the Spirit, kindly and courageously administer and rebuke. A disciplined leader can speak frankly and kindly and always in love, because he is disciplined to follow God as his leader. His focus is there. He learns that he needs to conquer self and flesh before he can conquer the world for Christ. A disciplined person can be well-trained. He still learns. And there's some school teachers here that you know that a child that is well-trained can be easily taught. And so teachers that are training, that are teaching young students soon learn which ones are disciplined at home. And so we have leadership. Now, we're not put in here as perfect men. But we learn from those around us. And there's, there's one thing that I tell my men at work. I tell our team is that I'm not really looking for yes men around me. 
I want to grow. And for me to grow, you're going to have to teach me a few things. I'm going to have to maybe change a few habits. A leader has good behavior. He's orderly. He's not vain. He's maybe the practical sense looking from the outside in. He is modest. It's interesting that in the Spanish in First Timothy 2.9 where it talks about in, in like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shame shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. If you would read the Spanish Bible, the addition to the qualifications, there's one there of modesty, using the very same word that is used for the women there. So there's, there's an ordered order life there, a well-ordered life and testimony. Why do we dress modestly? is to draw attention to our Lord. Why are we modest in our behavior? It is to bring honor and glory to God, not to ourselves. Good behavior takes the attention off of ourselves so that people can see the glory of God. One of the qualities here is given to hospitality. So your leaders, how many friends do they have? It is said that the Apostle Paul had fierce enemies, but many good friends. He was a true lover of the brothers. As men, do we enjoy guests? Yeah, there's some times where we want to crawl in a hole and not see people for a while. That, that does happen. But generally, there's hospitality toward others. An older sister in our church talks about when her dad was a bishop, um, back in the day why there would van loads of people show up. They're traveling on a Saturday night, and all of a sudden they had to get supper together and, and everything for Sunday. You just may do. We have phones, cell phones now, so we don't normally do that. But it's interesting to watch her life. Now, she is older, but... Definitely the hospitality was carried from there over to, to where she is today. We're apt to teach, verse 2 yet, able and willing to communicate to others God's love. And to be able to teach that, there has to be an experience in my own heart, in my own life. Teaching the word of God is very important. So obviously... We're looking for a man that has lived the word of God. And he can teach it in our homes. The lessons we teach by what we say and how we live. They're both there. Titus 1.9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. There's something of being teaching others in the world to come to Christ and how to live. Verse 3, not given to wine, sobriety taught throughout the scripture. 
you're wondering why is this all in here? It's even with our commun uh, communion message is often about not not drinking. In the culture then, when you worship your gods, to have a connection with them, you would drink. And I'm not sure if that put them on a high or something. And Paul's telling them, no, that's not how we do it in the church. That's not why we drink to appease God and to have this high between me and God. If you're looking for joy, comfort, you're looking for an escape from your problems, that's what they do when they drink. But we look to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that we get our resources from. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So when we worship, when we are talking to God, we don't drink, but we are filled with the Spirit. The old kind of religion is out. The new is in. It is by the Holy Spirit, not drunkenness, that we make connections with God. I believe that in our positions in church, we can be and should be energized by the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit affects all of our relationships and all of our attitudes. And so he encourages us there in Ephesians to speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of that filling of the Spirit is that of singing together spiritual songs, that of thanking and praising God for what he's done in our lives. Verse 3, he says, not a striker, or let's not get into fights. Not a violent man, but a gentle man. A striker uses his anger to cut others down. Well, we're looking for a leader who speaks in love, where there's gentleness and humility. Verse 3 also talks about not greedy, filthy lucre. Verse, how does that say? Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient. Do we use money? Over God in relationships. When we were in the village there in El Salvador, it's interesting. One of the men from the village came and talked to me about another leader in a church there. And he said, the only reason that man is a leader is because he, he enjoys the women and the money that he gets from being a leader. Now, this was a non-Christian telling me that. Those leaders are out there. Also in the same village, there were a couple in another church that they weren't able to pay enough in the offering, so they were no longer considered members of the church. Um, how, how are we conveying the message of Christ? 
And I think about, especially as a salesman in leadership, you know, I'm used to selling people on my product and telling them how good it is and trying to convince people to my product. Does that carry over to my leadership and my relationships that I try to convince people to see my way, Wayne's way, above God's way? And I have been challenged already with a question, do I do do business like I run the church or do I run the church like I do business? Now, I guess that depends how you run the church, where that saying goes. But there is something there about as leaders in relationship rather than using them to get Wayne's things done and getting them done the way I think they should be done. We have here also in verse 3, not covetous. How does the knowledge of Christ walking beside me affect coveting money, fame, and power? Keeping in perspective that Christ suffered and died for me, does that affect my desire for fame? Does that affect my calling, wishing I would be somewhere else, wishing I would be a janitor or an usher when God has called me into leadership position? Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation or your walk of life, your character be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Colossians 3.5, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, put those things to death. He tells us here in verse 3 to be patient, kind, and gentle. What does patience look like to you? Sitting around doing nothing? There is something about patience of that of waiting on the Lord. There is that of steadfastness, that of brave being brave and courageous of whatever life brings to us and then transmitting it, transmitting the worst to another step upward. It is victorious endurance, patience, Christian steadfastness, courage and ability to bear things. 2 Timothy 3.5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, into the patient waiting for Christ, listening and hearing someone out. Some of us are born with the, let's get her done, why wait? And um, when somebody else is speaking to us, we're already thinking about, what we can say in response instead of hearing them out, being patient and listening. He tells us not to be a brawler, not to be quarrelsome, but to be peaceful. Do preachers fight? He tells us not to. 
but to be the opposite of a brawler, those that fight is to be peaceable. Before I can change the world, before I can change the hearts and lives of others, I'm going to accept first the peace of God. And if I haven't accepted that peace in my life, it's hard for my brothers to share the peace of God with others. And so, do we know God? And are we secure in his peace so that we're not shaken when the waves and the storms come through? Verse 5, 4 and 5 here talks about ruling well his own household. That of maintaining his house. In the complete Jewish Bible, it would say he must manage his own household well, having children who obey him with all proper respect. Now we all, some of us who have more than two children, know they don't act the same. Can we reconcile these opposing viewpoints in our family? And if we can't do it at home between the differences in our children, can we do it in the church setting? I think that goes along with ruling well the, his household. Keeping things going at home. He's not a novice. He's not newly planted or a new convert because he could be puffed up. And he could fall into the reproach of the devil. Does he have a good report from those without? A good testimony? And I think your community is somewhat the same as us. We don't have... Now, in our community, we don't have Mennonites close in the area. Now, there's a couple that moved into Pittsburgh from State College. But generally... What goes on in the Mennonites, why the community hears pretty quickly. And it's interesting how that happens. So is that, does it matter what the community is saying? They know the people in our church. It was interesting when I moved to Washington County and I asked for a credit report on our hardware. See, you go to the same church as Harlan and Raymond King. Sure, you've got it. Boom. Somebody established something well in the community before we got there. And in that good report, do they see God or do they see Mennonites? Do they see that, yeah, there's something different and start asking questions? Then we can point them to God. How will all this be accomplished? You look at this list and you say, my Wayne, you just put a load on us. I didn't write this. I didn't put this list out. But I am a human being. How do, how do we do this as leaders? I think we want to recognize that we are children of God. If anyone here is going to be blameless, vigilant, pure in his marriage, it's going to be because he is full of the Holy Ghost. He has allowed the Holy Spirit to guide him. The new man will now stand up with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's how we are able to live in this. Let's not be looking in the mirror and say, I'm just this dumb person. You know, there's, there's no way I can do this. Well, I probably can't. But with the aid of the Holy Spirit, Christ didn't ask us to do something that we're not able to accomplish through his spirit. And I don't think he expects any of us to do this or to be this on our own. We're going to wear out. We're not going to make it. But the spirit in us, we can, we will accomplish this as we know God, as we allow the spirit to work in us. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, in Acts 6.3, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of a Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business or over this work. He was calling out the deacons. And they weren't expecting just a human man to do this. They were expecting men full of the Holy Ghost to accomplish this. And so I want a, a few statements here about the examples of, of serving as we look at Christ. As we serve Christ, there should be a love of Christ there. He gave all his life a sacrifice, the cross, the agony of sin, and the incredible power of love. 1 John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The only way that Ben and I as bishops can walk through the passage here in chapter 3 is to lay Wayne and Ben aside and to allow the Holy Spirit to take control because if Wayne's in control here I'm afraid I can't accomplish this I can't do this and so we look at Christ. In his compassion. And we look at compassion, it's a nice word, but compassion is pretty messy. As we think of compassion, we think of people's relationships can be pretty complicated. We see that broken relationships and lives because of sin, they are messy. But compassion lets people touch you, but does not condone their sin. Matthew 9, 20, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Jesus allowed the messiness to touch him to be healed. Compassion Let's the sinner interrupt. Compassion does not fit in our budget. Compassion costs money. It costs time. It costs dropping what I'm doing and going and losing a couple hours and maybe even overtime for that week. 
It costs money. Compassion does not fit into my schedule. Compassion isn't really ordered itself very nicely. But as we look at the love and compassion of Christ, we embrace that servanthood and the compassion of Jesus, and we allow Christ to move through us in compassion. And we'll talk about this a little bit more on Sunday morning, or maybe that's, I'm not sure which message it is, that of allowing the Spirit to work through us. And so as we look at these qualities, these characteristics tonight, let's look at Jesus of how he served, especially how he served with compassion. A few comments in closing here in personal preparation for tomorrow night. I'd like to, for each one of the members to encourage you as a member of the body of Christ, you have the privilege of participating by nominating someone with these qualities. You're not going to find a perfect man. But you can find a perfect man in Christ. And you do this through the Spirit, reading the word here. He made this pretty practical. He gave you a list of qualifications for a leader and his wife. So are you praying about your choice? Do you have any selfish motives behind this choice? Are you motivated by personal feelings and prejudice? Or are you open to the Holy Spirit to lead you? To the church, if you are not alert and vigilant in choosing your leaders. You can endure years of turmoil. And I'm not saying that for you to be scared. I'm saying that for you to, to think about, not take this lightly. That's why this list is here. But as you're vigilant, as each of the members, you can experience years of prosperity and unity in your church. So 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And that's what we are building on this morning, and we're looking to each one of the members to participate in that building. And building the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And may God give you wisdom. May he give you guidance and grace. May you feel his love and presence here this weekend. And in order to feel that, you're going to have to accept and receive it in your hearts. And let it flow through you in how you participate. Shall we stand for prayer? Dear God, we thank you for your word and thank you for the clarity of your word. As we look at leadership, 
We look at vision. We look at the church of growing. Lord, it is your church that is being built here this weekend. And Lord, you've asked each one of us to participate in the building of the church. And so, God, we pray that we would open our hearts to your leading, to your direction. We would allow you to speak through us so that your name would be honored and glorified in our personal lives, in the church here, and that it would overflow into the community. May your will be accomplished here. We just ask that you would guide and direct each one of the members here in Jesus' name. Amen. And you are dismissed.